This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 68 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'll be talking to... Uh, excuse me, this is Mini Rebel, the real Rebel King in this house, but I suppose I'll let my mummy run the show. I'm terribly sorry about that interruption. Where were we? Right. Hello Rebels and welcome to episode 68 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm talking to Roz Morris all about how to create captivating characters. But first to last week's question, which was what non-writing related activities will you be doing in 2021 to help grow your business? So Linda, and I apologise if I mess up your surname, uh, Chudo Malova said, as far as what non-writing activity I'm doing to grow my business, I'm definitely building my author platform. Social media, maybe YouTube, if I can figure out what the special thing, uh, what's the special thing I can actually pass on to someone else. And then she uh, continued to say, this is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received in regards to uh, the last podcast. I love this podcast and received the many pointers with gratitude. That said, I'm going to leave this here. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. At this point, it's not realistic looking, uh, looking, it's not realistic looking that life will be in any way back to normal before 2022. Please, people, kick your own asses, but also be as kind to yourself and as you are to others. It's okay to set goals and fall short. It's okay to have unfocused minds, erratic behaviour. It's okay to gain weight or to feel unmotivated. It's okay to fail. Lockdowns are hard on all of us creative souls. A lot of us have financial problems and or worry worries about the future. It's like trying to build a skyscraper during an earthquake. Sure, it's doable, but the resources needed are monumental. We're all in survival mode, so by all means, hold yourselves accountable, but also sprinkle on some of that kindness. Slam on the brakes when the hustle feels like a mountain to climb that keeps growing as you climb. I thought that was a beautiful uh, piece of advice um, and I loved the uh, analogy about the skyscraper during an earthquake so thank you very much for sharing those kind words with all of us. Bobby Ann Atwood said, a non-writing related focus for me will be for uh, to travel more whether that's solo or with the kids, date, uh, trip etc. I just want to see more of what the world has to offer. Of course this next year it may be the world of neighbouring states but something is better than nothing and I could not agree more with you. You know travel is one of the things that I'm missing deeply and um, I'm already talking about uh, how like how, what you know the trips that we're going to do once this is over and I, uh, I really want to go to Venice in Italy so we'll see about that. Kerry Hudisky said, building my platform on social media and paying down some debt so I can self-publish when Tiny Rebel is in school. Ivy, Ivy Raquel said, paying off my student loans and spending some more time painting. She's also moving back to the US this year. Tom Fowler said, getting an accountant. It may not be growing the business, but I expect a professional to find some things I've never considered. As my writing income goes up, I also want to use it for things like starting a re retirement account. Ian Worrell says non-writing related activities would be to get to the gym more regularly and on my regularly scheduled days off, I work a four on four off shift work schedule. 
So go out and do some photography on at least one of them. Take part in some of the meetup group events. Bernard Quince said, illustrations, drawing, doodling, lock sport, I don't know what lock sport is, uh, tool making, meme creation, drink, drinking tea, painting, re-arting, gardening, uh, propagating, chook dealing. I don't know what chook dealing is either. There's some very exciting activities in there. Jasmine Plate said, reading narration, more walks with the dogs and getting back to a lifestyle that's grain free and paleo-ish. As I know, it's how my body functions best, just to have marshal, uh, just have to marshal the discipline to do it. And then uh, Jasmine continued to say, oh my God, I can't believe you're learning Dutch. It's a fun language and we'll give you a whole new buffet menu of literature and poetry to devour. Funny you say that. I've actually asked my dad to send me some kids books in Dutch, like, you know, like the very first sort of baby books. And then like, so I can work my way up through nursery rhymes. I never thought like as an adult, I'd be learning to read again, which is <laughs> like the weirdest concept. But um, yeah, so learning to read, like, I don't know, learning to read in another language is crazy. But yeah, I figured, you know, if they have any of their old, like, because obviously my brother and sister, uh, well, uh, yeah anyway some of my brothers and sisters speak Dutch and have done since birth um so I yeah I was like oh well you send me their old like nursery books and stuff <laughs> so it's gonna be so weird but I'm gonna read them to my son in Dutch anyway and hope that some of it sort of rubs off on him as well and uh my first so I'm actually so I'm doing two things I'm taking uh, I'm using Duolingo uh, by myself every day and then I'm going to start uh, tuition, proper tuition with a Dutch tutor next week as well. So yeah, full on learning Dutch. So the question this week then is who is your favourite character of all time? Um, it could be a hero, it could be a villain, it could be a side character, it could be from TV, movie, film, books, uh, theatre, it can be from anything you like but I thought we would sort of nod to the show and to Roz uh, and her book and uh, the content of this week's show. So yes, I would like to know who is, and you're only allowed to pick one because I'm an evil bitch, so who is your favourite character of all time? The book recommendation this week is The Ultimate Guide to Book Marketing by Nicholas Eric. I, in, I had the pleasure of interviewing him this week and he is full <gasps> to the brim of knowledge. He His brain is the size of a planet. It was a fantastic interview. I can't wait to share it with you. Um, and I have his book. One of my friends uh, kindly brought me a copy and sent it to me. And... Um, so yeah, I have started uh, reading that and I think it is fantastic. So I highly recommend that book. I will leave links in the show notes. So to my personal update of the week, isn't this fun, guys? Aren't we all having fun? No, no, we are not having fun. This is not a fun week. This is not a fun start to the year. It's not the year I wanted. I expected a brilliant year. Well, no, that's not true. I knew, uh, you know, I'm not naive. I knew coming into this year, it wasn't uh, going to be suddenly, spontaneously COVID free. Um, however, I don't know what the situation is like for you in all of your different countries, but here in the UK, Boris Johnson, the wanker, has shut down the country again. Uh, we are in a six-week lockdown, and this time the absolute twat chops has shut schools. Now, I'm not here to have a political discussion about whether that's right or wrong or about vaccines or any of that shit. 
what I'm here to say is, as a working parent, it is very fucking difficult to run a business, even to record a podcast when you have a child at home. Okay, okay, Boris, I did go off on a rant and then I had to delete it because I didn't want this to be a political ranting podcast. So I'm going to end my thoughts here on that matter, but I'm sure you can hear from my very strained voice that I have a lot to say and I'm not going to say it. Um, I cried for two straight hours. I I sat and watched the uh, announcement in my office and then I laid quietly on the floor and sobbed for two hours. Um, I am... I am not coping very well with this third lockdown because not not only is this a third lockdown for us, but my son has also had to quarantine twice from school. And because we moved house in um, 2020, uh, he also didn't go back to school when everybody else went back to school. So I am very worried about his education. I am worried about my business, I'm worried about how to get work done, I'm worried about my sanity, my sanity is driven in large part by what I can achieve and what I do and you know what I produce and that's particularly difficult when you don't have any time because you're homeschooling for six hours a day but it's all right don't worry Boris said that the homeschooling shouldn't interfere with anything that parents are doing oh of course it shouldn't Boris I'm going to move on. So this week, um, I have had to change everything. And um, look, okay, look, bollocks to this. If anybody else is out there and they're struggling, uh, I hear you, I see you, I feel you, I'm in pain too. And um, it's okay not to be okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that because I don't want this podcast to be me pretending that everything is a bunch of fucking roses when it is far from a bunch of roses. And sure, I probably should only spew out positivity, but fuck that, I'm a rebel and I'm a human and I'm gonna be me. Um, One thing I will say is even though it has utterly, utterly, utterly pained me to take stuff off my to-do list, um, my natural reaction this week was to zero down on only the important stuff and I am one of these people who swears blind that everything I do is important (laughs) and when it really comes down to it um that's a load of bollocks and I need to check myself there because um the important things are creating more so I have only basically written words this week and um across all of the different things that I'm working on I've done 7,000 words which is amazing um and I would like to break 10,000 by the end of the week um the one thing I've not really been able to do that I did want to do is to record uh bits of audio book and I'm not giving up on that goal my goal was to have recorded a good chunk of it by the end of January and I would still like to do that um I'm just going to have to figure out a different way to do it because obviously I have (laughs) six hours of homeschooling every day. Um, So yes, anyway, if there are any mums out there 
this is another thing actually uh, that I have been considering um like a mum's support group for like writer mums because um and if anyone out there is a writer mum and would like a support group text like text me <laughs> dm me tweet me um me you know message post in the facebook group instagram actually probably instagram is your best bet when i'm at sasha black author but i would i basically um we moved th this school is new from september and um I don't know any parents. I'm not very good at making friends. And so, because obviously everybody had to stand two meters apart and we were all wearing face masks, I never got the chance to introduce myself to anybody. And so when the school shut, I did not have the phone number of a single parent, which means I have no way of my son being able to contact any of his friends. And so I asked the school to allow me to set up a Facebook group and for them to share the link so that there was, you know, access for the kids to talk to each other and also a forum for parents. And they said no. So I feel very alone uh, in terms of my, <clears throat> you know, mothering and coping with homeschooling. So yeah, if anybody wants like a little Facebook group or you know, I don't know, some kind of group for mums homeschooling. And I that this is not limited to the UK. If you are in America or if you're in Australia or if you're in India or if you're in Africa, if you're in South America, wherever, like any country in the world and you are dealing with your politicians fucking turd storms, then message me. And if I have enough interest, I will set up a Facebook group and we can meme the shit out of it so that we all get to laugh instead of crying into our podcast mics. <laughs> okay, moving on. <clears throat> the rebel of the week this week is Sarah. So Sarah says, there are only four dryers. So I always like to uh, be respectful and not waste time by getting down there early in case my clothes need another spin. And for the most part, it's been going well for the last two years. That is until today when some fucker removed my clothes and put them in a basket in the laundry room. Uh, first of all, it wasn't even my basket, so that's gross. Second of all, my clothes were still soaking wet and I know for a fact he took them out before my first cycle was finished because like I mentioned above, I came down five minutes early to, um, to uh, check. Thirdly, uh, he also happened to leave my sports bra and underwear on the top of the random basket. Ew, that's so creepy. I was so fucking pissed that I opened the door to the dryer uh, before his laundry was done and taped a note to the machine that said, Karma's a bitch, asshole." I will say I am a fairly nice person most days and did consider going back down to start his load up again. But then it was like something took over my body and I just... Um, I just shrugged and even laughed a little. I loved this rebellion and uh, Sarah continues, well, she finishes off by saying, needless to say, I will not be letting that neighbour borrow any sugar moving forward and I hope he enjoys growing mildew on his jeans. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love these tiny rebellions. Like, you know, so often, like so many people are crushed in this world. Like, the fuck is that about? We go around stamping on other people instead of picking people up and holding hands out. You know, like, w what was the actual point of him that, you know, oh God, he could have checked the timer to see how long was left. Like, people are just assholes for no reason. So, you know what, karma is a bitch and he deserved it totally. So yeah, I love your rebellion. Uh, 
If you'd like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. Two new patrons this week. Welcome and thank you to Cassie M. Newell and Naomi Kennedy. Both have come in um, and have joined the Slack group. So super thank you and welcome. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for your support, your your support, your support, especially um, at the moment. It means more to me than I can express in words. And I'm meant to be a writer. Um, I will be doing a Patreon Poison and Prose, an exclusive Patreon only Poison and Prose next week. Uh, I have put the information in Patreon already, so if you haven't seen it, go and check out the posts. I will post a reminder uh, next week. And that's like a live Q&A writing sprints together and we're going to be doing it on Zoom. I've upgraded my Zoom account so I can have like 100 people uh, in my Zoom thingy. And I think... I, I'm not committing 100% to this, but I think I'm going to commit to doing it every month. Uh, but we will see. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna promise until I 100% know I can deliver. Uh, but yes, you will definitely get more pa uh, Poison and Prose lives for for patrons only. So if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content and joining exclusive page Patreon Poison and Proses Proses whatever, then you can buy uh, from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash uh, Sasha Black. And as always, that's Sasha with a C and not an S. This week's episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. Pro Writing Aid is an editing software and it is fan-fucking-tastic. I use it personally, I say this every time because it's true, uh, I use it as my last line of defence and also as a like a grammar checker, style editor and a mini writing mentor in a way uh, and I use it before I send my manuscripts off to my editor to try and make their job a little bit easier. Pro Writing Aid is about more than just finding grammar mistakes. It helps you to learn good writing techniques because it has over 20 different writing reports that make suggestions um, and then offer detailed explanations as to like why they've given those uh, explanations and suggestions. They also have videos and even quizzes to help you understand the reasoning behind the suggestions. Writing, of course, can be grammatically perfect and still feel, feel awkward and clumsy. That's uh, because I like breaking rules. <laughs> Pro Writing Aid searches out elements like repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence sentence length variation, over-dependence on adverbs, passive voice, over-complicated sentence constructions, and so much more. Of course, Pro Writing Aid will never replace a human editor, but rather it helps you to self-edit on a deeper level, so that when you do send it off to an editor, they will be able to focus on the meat of your writing and making your story better, rather than spending their time fixing basic issues. If you would like to find out more, I have included links in the show notes. All right, enough bollocksing on, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Roz Morris. Roz is a best-selling ghostwriter turned contemporary novelist and author mentor. Her latest release is a workbook version of her successful writing manual, Nail Your Novel. She has two published novels, My Memories of a Future Life and Life Form 3, which was longlisted for the World Fantasy Award and a collection of travel diaries, Not Quite Lost, Travels Without a Sense of direction. Hello. 
Hello, Sasha. Great Thanks. to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I am just going to have to take a pause because my cat's opened my door because she's clever. <laughs> um, and I can guarantee you she'll make a load of noise if I don't. Shut it. Okie dokie. So before we dive in uh, to the questions, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Well, I was lucky to um, get a job in a publishing company quite soon out of college. I, I didn't really know that's what I wanted to do. But once I got there, I thought, oh, this this really fits. I love making books. So I had a great grounding in all the, the things, all the aspects of making books, commissioning authors, working with authors, writing, all sorts of things like that. But um, the content was um, not really my sort of thing. It was a lot of titles for um, graduates to tell them how to go and have careers as management consultants or um, bank managers and things like that. And I very quickly ran away to become a novelist. I love it. I love it. I um I was in that that corporate I literally went and did a corporate uh, graduate management scheme and very quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to do either <laughs> so uh yeah I sympathize okay so we are here to talk about characters and you have written a fantastic novel which I recommended I think last week or the week before on my podcast and your book is called Mail Your Novel, Writing Characters Who Will Keep Readers Captivated and I have already shown you this but for listeners who can't see I have sticky taped the shit out of this book so I highly recommend you guys uh, go and read it so thanks for putting that awesomeness into the world um, and of course so that's what we are here to talk about. So I guess my first question is, what are the three most important elements in making a really good, solid character? Well, it's not what they do, but it's why they do what they do. And um, you, have to, you have to write about people who do things that matter to them personally and deeply. Um, and... Um, out of that often comes things they fear, things they want to have happen or maybe don't dare to start, um, things they want to prevent. Um, it, but everything comes from why, why they do what they do. Um, and what you can do to illustrate that is by giving them difficult choices that all come from the things they, they want out of life, the things they want to protect, all, all that. Um, choices are the enactment of what's of what's in their soul, um, the things they want to be, the things they don't want to be. And and that's where that's where good characters come from. And, and it's very individual as well. Um, it's every every person is different. And once you nail what's actually really going on inside them, then you can build somebody kind of from the inside out. And another really important thing, and I realized this um, as I was doing um, an edit on my third novel, which I, I just finished, um, is that you shouldn't judge them. And I found that I was, I was reading through some of the, the, the scenes I'd got with the character and I was thinking, my approval or disapproval of this character is actually coming through on the page and I thought that's getting in the way. What I should actually do is just be more understanding about what it's like to be him and this, this was quite an interesting thing to think about because I had created him from probably from various people I was irritated by or frustrated by 
and it was still in the manuscript somehow. But I found that once I thought now really understand what it's like to be this person, why it's good to be this person, why it's bad to be this person, what it really feels like to, to be them if you weren't judging them. And that that was that was a really important way to open him up. And then I found my beta reader said, I, I really warmed to him and I wish people would be nicer to him. Whereas in an earlier draft, I was thinking, oh, he deserves everyone to treat him like a fool. Um, so that that is something really important. Um, understand what it's like to be them and even that why it's good to be them. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think nobody has ever said that to me. And so I think that is fantastic. I've never thought about it in terms of not judging your characters but that's so true like I think some of the best character written characters are those that are different to us and our um you know everybody's always very worried and afraid to write characters who are different either you know different in terms of from you know perhaps diverse backgrounds or different in terms of from a different background to them and obviously there are um there is a, a deep importance for own voices to write, you know, own voices. But also I do think there is something wonderful when we are able to write characters who are different from us and truly em em like embody them because it teaches us um, like, uh, what's the word? It teaches us acceptance and, uh, you know, um, I can't think of the word. I don't mean empathy. empathy. Yes, thank you. Empathy. And exactly. And that can only make the world a better place. Uh, so I love that. And the other thing that I loved about what you said was, um, I remember uh, it was a really good reminder. I, I feel like I'd read it somewhere before, but you, the way you phrased it was so perfect. Um, and it's about the best uh, type of choice a character can have is the impossible choice and it was just the way that you you phrased it I was like oh yes like I really needed to hear that again because it's so true that the only choices we really or you know in those like obstacle type conflict moments the only choices we should be given our characters really are impossible choices because that's when you see like them fulfill them their most selves if that makes sense I don't know yeah um Okay, so what about the most common mistakes you see writers making when they try to create characters? One very common one is very little arc, because what often happens is um, a writer will think, I want to write about someone who's got this problem, this dilemma, or this this um, um, maybe um, an emotional scar or something. And they actually keep the character more or less in that state all the way through. And it actually gives the character nowhere to go. But I've, I've seen countless manuscripts where a, a character has started off quite damaged and there is sort of quite a lot that they need to heal. And they've gone like that through most of the book. And it's, it, it becomes very samey. So what I would usually encourage the author to do is to just think of that as maybe the middle for the sake of argument and see how far they can unravel to events before and see what got them to that situation and also consider afterwards. And um, they usually are thinking of a time when the character is in kind of deepest distress because that's usually what grabs their attention in the first place. That's mm. that was the inspiration. A character who's got this, and the, uh, but they've got to kind of rewind and build up to that. That you could have the problem simmering on a very low heat to start with, 
but it's got to have somewhere to go. And then you've also got to have twists where things matter differently and they matter more. And you've, so you've got to think of the, um, the kind of starting inspiration of this, this situation, this emotional knot that they've got themselves into as only part of it and see where else you can take it before, before the knot gets really bad and afterwards when it could get much worse or it could lead to new things. So, so really think of a journey and probably whatever your, your emotional inspiration was, it's only a small part. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And showing those step changes as well, not just giving us broken character and then fixed character at the yeah, end without yeah. the, the step changes in the middle. One of the books that um, I love uh, that helps me, it reminded me of what you said at the beginning, which is everything is, is about the why. Like it comes back to that emotional hurt as well. Like why are they emotionally damaged in the first place? Like it's all good and well giving them a flaw. Um, have you heard of the uh, emotional wound thesaurus like the Angela Ackerman and Becca Pugliese? I love those. I love the books and the wound I I tell you what when the wound one came out I I have been having a field day creating characters because there's so many different whys for like the ones you know for all of the the damage we are awful people like we're such awful people creating these characters that are so damaged and wounded but I love it um sorry Mm, yes, no, I was going to agree. When I was writing my, my first novel as me, um, as opposed to the ghosted novels, I did awful things in the ghosted novels, but it didn't seem to matter. But the first novel as me, I kind of seemed to have created really from my own DNA. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking, I have done something awful to this character, really awful. I would not like to be living this. But when I get at the, at the computer and I'm sort of talking to the page, it's just, it's all got to happen like that. But um, if I step away, I think that there's some really cruel stuff I'm putting these people through. But again, you know, what we, what we want with, with fiction is to go to places and explore and we want impossible choices. Those make us very curious. And we're very lucky if we don't have that kind of um, stress in our real lives. Mm. But we do want to understand people who live more extreme lives and situations than we have. Yeah, absolutely. I think it helps us to like work out things in our own brain, even if we're not doing it, you know, it's not as um, plain and simple as, as that. But I think subconsciously, it definitely helps us to like evaluate, I suppose, for ourselves. Um, in, in your book, you talk about the importance of character reaction and how that character reaction helps to define character. So can you explain what that means to listeners and how they can use it to create better characters themselves? Well, I wrote that piece because I was seeing a lot of, um, a lot of manuscripts where the writer seemed to assume the reader would know why something was important so why a choice was difficult or why a why some development was disastrous and but they hadn't actually put this into the manuscript um and what you have to do is you have to teach the reader what matters to the characters and why it matters and um then you have to create story events that will affect them but reactions are really important so they will often show say um a cat dying for instance and assume that everybody will understand that the cat dying is bad it might not be for not necessarily 
so you have to show that as well. It's an, it's often a missing piece, but the, the writer often thinks, oh, everyone knows that's bad, but mm. you actually do have to show it. And you you involve the um, you involve the reader in what matters to the characters and what doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things I've learned uh, recently, actually, uh, is from a chap called Jeff Elkins, and he's called the Dialogue Doctor. And he talks about picking um, like a base emotion for characters and then like modulating depending on like whether they're getting angry or whether they're getting sad and like that, like varying that base emotion. And it sort of like helps to define a character. So, you know, like some people could naturally be angry, but then like like their baseline emotion is anger so they react to everything with anger but then when they're genuinely angry they could get really quiet you know and that like I love that kind of like exploring that flip-flop of emotions in characters yes yes um and you must never assume never assume that the reader knows certain things like that you do have to show them the blanks are great you can leave the reader to fill in certain blanks you have to be really careful about what blanks you leave them to to fill in um but you also have to bear in mind that everything is individual and particular that mm. there, there are no sort of you can't make any assumptions you, you do have to show the reader so it's, it's great to have uh, something like you've described the, the the baseline emotion oh this person will always be more easily upset than anybody else or will take offense more easily and um other people will think no they didn't mean anything by that um everyone has as you say their, their baseline of of what they'll tolerate and what pushes their buttons yeah absolutely um one of the other things that i loved in your book and actually this is something that i ha- um like taking and putting into a book that I'm writing now um but you talk about uh mystery and you clarify uh what mystery is in terms of character and how many writers will underwrite a character in order to make them seem mysterious by leaving out um a bunch of details or whatever uh but you also say that that's a mistake so I wondered if you could explain how writers can create mysterious characters like, like effectively the enigmatic character mm-hmm. yes who, who actually appears as empty because you didn't quite realize what you had to do in order to make them enigmatic yeah I did this in my very first book total schoolboy error <laughs> everybody does it it's because they they think oh I've got to really pull back and show this person or oh, just standing watching aloof yes. a bit safe <laughs> Being aloof, yes, yeah. um, but, but then they give you nothing to actually be interested in. What you've got to do is make the reader interested in them, but not reveal very much. So um, you can you can do things like indicate they have an internal life. So they've obviously got very intelligent eyes or something, or they, they react in some way, but they're not going to show very much, but people maybe pay a lot of attention to it and perhaps are a bit unsettled by it and show other people's reactions to them. Mm. Um, a, a great example of an Enigma character is Sherlock Holmes because Dr. Watson actually describes him all the time. He's fascinated by him. So he actually brings to life the things that we wouldn't otherwise really see about Sherlock Holmes. He would be quite quite snooty and, and superior probably to everybody else. But um, a ca- you can have a character who can be the, who can break the ice a bit between the, the wall that the character, that the actual character puts up and the rest of humanity. 
and you, you can do things like have things that don't add up, such as a few contradictory things about them. So they can be very fussy about some things and, and then not seem to mind about others and can wrong foot people because no one can really get a handle on them. So show how no one can get a handle on them. You can actually have to show quite a lot in order to create the enigma. You could also have a few mysterious things like perhaps dates that don't add up. They say that they, they were um, in New York when the World Trade Center collapsed and then they'll say something that shows they weren't. So that'll make you think, oh, there's something they're not telling us. So you, you, can, you can create quite a lot of clues, but you do have to put a lot in. The mistake is to not put it in. Mm. Yeah. And you also have to rely on your beta readers for, for things like this too. Ask them if the character was interesting enough um, and that it's, it's quite hard to judge for yourself. It is. Yeah, definitely. And I only found out after I'd published <laughs> when one of my readers was like, I, I, I would like to know more about this character. I don't really know who they are. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that wasn't what I was going for. <laughs> oh, never mind. We live and learn, don't we? Um, all right. How can writers better connect their characters to their book theme? Well, uh, theme is something that you don't beat the reader over the head with. You let the reader notice it and feel clever for having noticed it. It's part of their reward of thinking, oh, I'm reading something well crafted. This is not just real life, it has themes. And they'll do that by, um, by noticing certain things that, that are sort of commonly happening through the book, for instance, certain kinds of situations. So you might have one central set of characters who are um, maybe, um, I, I just recently read a novel that was about quite a few long-standing marriages and how, um, how they work, how the characters are weary with each other. They kind of want to escape, but they don't. So what the author did was he had quite a, quite a few couples in that situation, but in different ways. And they were showing it, showing these, these same, um, th these same situations, but coping with them differently. And when you do that, it just, the theme just rises out of what the characters are doing. So you, you create a number of similar situations, have them explored slightly differently, have different results, but it, it just comes out of what the characters do. Yeah, I think one mistake I have seen in manuscripts I've read is where the protagonist and the antagonist will represent the theme beautifully. One representing the theme, the protagonist, obviously, and the antagonist, I guess, representing the opposite, the kind of like anti-theme, if you like. But then the side characters don't in any way, shape or form. And there's just like no connection at all. But I think when you are able to embody the theme in your side characters as well, that is a mark of really good storytelling, I think. Yes, and they, they are a great way to do it because they, um, I know you want to ask about the, about side characters, uh, they are there to, to serve your story more um, than the main characters are. Um, they, they are really in service to your, your bigger goals with, with the book. Um, one example that, that I really love is Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca. She's, she's a main character of her own, but she's also, she has so many thematic functions too. She's a lonely, bitter 
voice who reminds the second Mrs. De Winter of her, her social inferiority, her feelings of inferiority. She's, she's the embodiment of the dead Rebecca. She's also, I, I realized as I was thinking about this this afternoon, she's, um, she's a voice of jealousy too. She, because she's probably thinking, wouldn't it have been nice if I had been swept off my feet? You know, I was a nobody as well. And this little nobody, has now arrived in my house, taking my Rebecca's place. And it's got so much in it. So you, you can pack a lot into a character like that. Yeah, oh, I love it. I lo- I'm, I'm actually writing a book on side characters. So like definite vested interest when I ask a question about side characters. But um, I, I'm obsessed with uh, making them part of the theme at the moment, like in my own, in writing. It, you know what it's like when you write nonfiction, in writing a book on a topic, obviously you're doing stacks of research and stacks of learning and stacks of thinking. So you're then developing yourself. But um, almost like concurrently as I am writing a book about side characters I am also writing or like a a fiction book and so I'm getting to play with all of the concepts and everything that I'm talking about in in create and so every single character is so strategically created now like to represent a different aspect of the theme I'm just like geeking out hardcore um and on that segue (laughs) What advice do you have for writers uh, wanting to create better side characters? Well, as we were saying, they they are more functional than your main characters. Um, they help flesh out your novel's world. They um, they often have roles like the the main character's buddy or a mentor or something like that. They they might be seen a lot, although they might not be seen very much. Um, they make the world look populated. They're probably, I, I regard them as coming in two grades. There's there are the ones who are seen quite a lot. And then there are ones who are just, just walk-ons who come and deliver a parcel or an important piece of news. They're necessary they're, because they make, they make the world seem real and as if it has lots of people in it going about their, their normal stuff. Uh, but, but they don't deserve a lot of prominent time. That's the really important thing. We don't need to know their inner workings, um, the resolution of the book. They might be instrumental, but it won't be really important what happens to them on the inside. They, they might change, um, that's up to you, but they don't necessarily have to change. Um, and they won't go through the biggest journey. The person who goes through the, the biggest journey is obviously your main character. Mm-hmm. Um, So they mustn't steal too much attention, but at the same time, they still have to feel real. Um, And this is this is um, a problem that I often see. Um, You have side characters who come in and out whenever required by the book, Mm. but they don't have anything else to do. So you have to somehow create the, the idea that they're going around living lives, but their lives are of no interest to this book. So you have to have them going off and having to pick children up and not being able to do whatever the MC needs, um, or they have to have other priorities as well. So make them have their own lives and then they will seem like they're real people as well as being assistants for what's mainly going on. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Also, it ticks off the uh, protagonist and creates a bit of conflict. So <laughs> you could never have enough conflict. Um, so thinking about 
like individual characters how how can writers better define like each character's voice you made a lovely point earlier when you're talking about the, the the kind of internal emotional level that different people would have and uh, it's really an extension of that um, think of distinct internal temperatures for each person what um, what they feel about what's going on different ways that they will react to things one thing I find really useful is to think of humor styles if you mm. sit in a group of people just look around look at how they all have quite different ways of showing humor some won't show any at all um, and some will always make a bad pun some will always be dead serious and hate it if someone else makes a joke um, it's not all necessarily about jokes either but we, we all have our own ways of finding things funny or not funny that's a really good way of of building people who are different from the inside you have to always build them from the inside um, another thing you can do is think of the formality or informality of their language people of different education levels obviously but also who mix with different kinds of people we all have kinds of people who we, who we mix with and that affects how we communicate the kind of language we use um, our professions will in will influence how we communicate um, all these things will add up to distinctive internal settings for the characters and and so you can then you can really show their um their differences in dialogue particularly by by showing how they would talk about the same thing um and uh, the way they react to um shocks or grief or anyth anything anything big so but it all comes from inside figure them out from the inside why one is different from another and that's how to make them distinctive amazing Okay, my very favourite question, of course, is this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell listeners about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Well, how long have you got? Yeah, oh, I love, <laughs> I love how this starts. <laughs> Amazing. All night, darling, all night. Tell me all of the, all of the dirty secrets. <laughs> well, I kind of think like my entire life has been bit of rebellion not in terms of breaking windows or going to jail or getting <laughs> tattoos or anything but um in terms of kind of finding my own way and that's because I'm a really kind of impassioned person I always wanted everything I did to be heartfelt and true and um as I said at the beginning I I edited a magazine to tell people how to go and have jobs that I thought no really you can't spend your life doing that that there must be more some people are happy with that but some people aren't. So what I used to do was I would slip in articles about more interesting things you could do with a law degree, for instance. And then the sales staff would take them out. No. <laughs> say, we, we, we don't want to. We, we, we don't want um, copy like that. Uh, we can't have people um, encouraged to do that kind of thing because our advertisers want us to send people nicely into the law firms and so on. And then I would go and commission an article about um, what all the presidents of the National Union students went and did after they finished that. And they'd all done wild careers and that was taken out. And so, so uh, yes, um, we did have to part ways eventually. But um, I, was, I was always thinking, 
life should be big and heartfelt. And um, I got married in a language I don't speak. I wrote about this in Not Quite Lost. Um, I I wore black for my wedding. Oh um, my God, I think I just <laughs> fell in love with you. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you know that's my one regret? I asked my mum, so my mum is like this amazingly ridiculous creative person and she makes wedding dresses. And I asked oh. her to make me a wedding dress in black <laughs> as like a copy of a Vivian Westwood one. And she said, no, she did. She did put purple and silver in my dress though. So I, you know, like it, everybody loved each other in the end, but that is my one regret from the wedding. <sighs> Well, you want more? Well, oh, sorry, sorry. I wasn't sure if you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can. No, I think that was amazing. But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love that so much. And the other thing I loved was that you mentioned that NUS. I definitely uh, was president of my student union back in the day. In fact, a very, very pivotal year because I was the year that the tuition fee cap came off, and I was in London, like rioting, <laughs> protesting. <laughs> such a fucking rebel oh it was amazing but yeah I loved the NUS it was um like 80% booze and like 20% politics (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much for your uh, time today I've had an absolute blast where can listeners find out more about you and your books and I like and services as well and like I don't know uh yeah anything basically tell me all of the things all of the things. Well, I'll, I'll keep it to two because there's probably the easiest. There's Twitter. I am Roz underline Morris and that's R-O-Z and then Morris, like Morris dancing. And the other place it probably you could find me is my website, which is rosmorris.org. And that's Ros Morris, just one word amazing thank you so so much for your time today and thank thank you you also to all of the show's patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black and as always that's sasha with a c and not an s thank you also to everyone listening i'm sasha black you are listening to ros morris and this was the rebel author podcast Next week, I'll be joined by Sarah Rosette and we'll be talking about how to write a series in the most effective, efficient, marketing-y type way. And she is an absolute delight. So I can't wait to share that with you. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 